The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Also, the seas are his, for he made it, and in his hands he formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in Meribah, as in the days of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to test and put me to proof, though they have seen my works. For forty years I have loathed the generations and said, They are a people who have gone astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Psalms 95. Father, we are your people here gathered before you. We have come into your presence. And the subject before us this morning, the subject before you and us, the subject between us, about which you want to teach us and into which you want to grow us, is a sweet one. Joyful praise. That we would be a people whose hearts are set on you and who walk in joyful praise. Would you open that topic before us this morning in a way, Lord, that grabs us and moves us beyond theology to experience? We don't want to skip theology. We don't want to skip doctrine. We don't want to skip the written word and understanding it. But we don't want to stop there. We want to experience that. This passage calls us to, exhorts us towards something that we want to experience. So we ask you to teach, and what we mean is, Father, by your Spirit, will you change our hearts? Teach information, but Father, by your Spirit, change our hearts and bring us into this sweetness that we see here. Clear away distraction from us. If it's physical, if it's spiritual, clear away distraction. Lead us into truth that we would be different people for our joy and for your glory. Make that happen this morning, please, Father. Commission your spirit here to have his way in this room with us. Make the word clear. Build your people and honor the Son. Thank you, Lord. We trust this all to you. Amen. Some of the Psalms are expressed in the first person, that is, as a personal prayer, a personal song, and certainly modeling something for, for all of us corporately, but they all, some of them have more of a, of a one-to-one, of a, of a worshiper to God personally, and more of a feel like that. Others, like our Psalm this morning, 
are expressly corporate, plural, and congregational in focus. The repeated phrase throughout this psalm, let us, shows us that. It marks out for us that that there's something here of us talking to us, of, of the people of God, commanding the people of God, exhorting the people of God about our God. How we should come before him and interact with him and why, and how we should not come before him and not interact with him and why. That's here too. The psalm ends, as we saw there, on, on kind of a, a somber note, on kind of a dark note. And when we look at that final kind of dark note carefully, we're going to see that it fits right in, right in nicely with the overwhelmingly bright delightful tone that that dominates the beginning part of this. This is us exhorting ourselves, talking to ourselves about God and about the path that leads to our own delighted rest. Our own delighted rest. What we were made for, and if if we think about this, it's it's what every person's after, we're all longing for, is delighted rest. Whatever's, whatever kind of circumstances are happening, whatever activities, whatever endeavors, good or bad, whatever the surroundings are, we want to live, we long to live with hearts, whatever's going on, hearts that are at rest and no delight. And when the psalm points us towards that, calls us towards that, and then tells us kind of how to get there, pointing out that a heart that's set on God, that's centered on God, is that kind of heart. Calls us to that and then shows us how to get there. So I look at the psalm and, and I say, this is wonderful. And we're, we're going to work through it. There are three, three sections of the psalm, so we're going to make three points from it. But what's going to come out of this is, as I prayed, I hope what comes out of this is more than just, I, 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 got, I got the lines, I got the information, I got the details. But what comes out of it is that And now I know what to walk into. I've listened to the exhortation. I know what to walk into to find the life that is pleasing to God and pleasing to me, both. So, three points, three three sections of the psalm. Here's the first. Before, Before I get this, maybe, and notice this, it's us talking to us, but God inspired this. So it's God talking to us through us, and God wants this for you. Three points. Worship the Lord in joy, for he is the transcendent, almighty God. Worship the Lord in joy, for he is the transcendent, almighty God. Verses 1 and 2 bring us right into that exhortation, and and it it calls us four times to worship. Let us, it says, let us sing, make a joyful noise, come into his presence with thanksgiving, and again, make a joyful noise with songs of praise. This is kind of an an explosion here. These repeated phrases kind of an explosion of expressive worship. It's outward, visible praise, thanksgiving like we saw before, Psalm 92. It's really easy to see a corporate worship service here because of the plurals and because of the coming into God's presence. 
This is the proper way for us to come together, to come into God's presence with this kind of explosive, expressive. And that should be loud and raucous, right? All the time. Loud and raucous. That's what this is. Well, maybe. But not necessarily. As I said before, we touched on this last week, I do think that something additional gets engaged in our hearts as we use all of ourselves. We are, we are made physical beings, and something additional gets engaged in us when we use the other parts, like our, our mouths and our, our, our limbs. You notice this when you hear a tune and you begin to, begin to tap your foot to it. You, Something else gets engaged in you, or when you, when you feel inclined to sing along a song that you're listening to. Something else is there, and so I don't think we should skip right over, sing a song, make a noise, and just write that off and say, well, it's just the same as listen to a song or listen to someone else make a noise. I, no, I think there's something additional there for us to note about being expressive and, and being out there rather than just held in here. That being said, note carefully, the characteristic that's most important here is not the noise part, but the joyful part. It's joyful noise, not just noise. Singing praises, there's joy there, expressing thanksgiving to God in joy. Joy can look very different person to person, and circumstance to circumstance. Sometimes joy is using your limbs, your head back, a shout. But that's not often what joy looks like or feels like when you're holding a newborn baby, right? It's more silence, awe, whispers, even tears. So we're not aiming for noise and expression per se. Let us come and be joyful is the goal. Let us come and be joyfully thankful, be joyfully praising, because joy is is a critical component of praise. I mean, just imagine, Valentine's Day is coming up. You're on a date with your someone special. And after you've ordered, you've got a few minutes to talk there, and, and you say, you are wonderful. I am so thankful to have found you. Like a human version of Eeyore, right? I really, really love you. The words are right. You are expressing thanksgiving and praise. Verbal, all the right words. What's missing? Obviously, obviously, obviously what's missing is your heart. There's no joy in that, and it's therefore empty. Joy is what makes praise real. It's what makes praise real. And genuine worship, genuine praise, in fact, is not really possible without joy. 
So for God to be, to be actually praised, the volume doesn't matter. The language itself doesn't matter. It's the heart. It's the, the joy that's behind that. That's what's critical. That's what, that's what God wants, and that's what's right for God. And it's what we want because it's good for us. Remember where the previous psalm began, 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. This is good for us. It's where life for us is found. It's what we want, a life of full and lasting joy. And God calls us to rejoice in him because he knows that he is the ultimate grounds for full and lasting joy. So it's good for him and it's good for us. And he calls us to it. worship in joy, joy directed towards him. We sing to him, to the Lord. Verse 1, he's our audience. This is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of the Bible. Yahweh is his name. It's a particular God that we're talking to, praising, giving thanks to, approaching, enjoying in our hearts. That's what we are exhorting ourselves towards. And of course, God through us, directing us towards this kind of, of an attitude of, of joy that is worshipful, that is honoring to him, and that is delightful for us. Okay, why then? Why should we be like that? We're calling ourselves to it. Why should we be like that? Or, put it differently, how do you get there? And God shows us that too, so that we'll get there. So if you're, not, if you're sitting here this morning not experiencing this joy, this joyful life, this joyful life that's sustained, that is, that is strong, that is sweet, then you should stop and ask yourself, why not? And the answer has to deal with what your vision is set on. Problems related to what has the attention of your heart. Troubles may be, in fact, troubles are going to be. In this world, there will be a, a host of troubles. But look at this, verses 3 to 5. Here's, here's why we should be appraising people, why, what we're telling ourselves why. In other words, set your heart on this and you will be. Verse 3 to 5, for this Lord, Yahweh, he is a great God. In fact, a great king over all gods. Of all the gods of the earth, all the gods that the people on the earth worship. There are countless things people worship. This God, the Lord, reigns over all of that, over all of them. We have nothing to fear from them and no reason to look to them. He reigns as king, transcendent, high, lifted up, and over all. So great, so vast, the Almighty One. In His hand, you see a hand mentioned here, in his hand. What's in his hand? What does he hold and control and rule? The depths and the heights. Go down as far as you can imagine into the deepest hole in the earth, the lowest place in the ocean. 
And that spot right there is in his hand, right next to the highest mountain peak in the grandest range. He has the whole world in his hand. The sea and the dry land too. His. His possession, it says. Now, why is it his? Not because he showed up powerful and said, that's going to be mine. More than that, because he made it. He holds in his hands what was fashioned by his hands. He made it. He's the creator of all, sustainer of all, ruler of and possessor of all. Everything that is. The psalmist stretches the scope out here from heights and depths, sea and dry land. He spreads out to catch everything everywhere. Wherever anyone might find him or herself, you're standing on private property. It's the realm of the king. It's his. He owns it, and it sits right in the palm of his hand. He is the transcendent one, high and above, great the Lord. And that's put here to the people of God. You know that. I haven't told you anything you didn't already know. But it's put here as we exhort, when it's, we say to one another, Look, Christian, behold your God. Look, see this. I know that. See it. Almighty and awesome and majestic, look up and see the physical expanse of all of the creation, all of the earth and all of the heavens. Consider the distance involved in light years, Consider the numbers involved in billions of people and immeasurable numbers of creatures and insects and microbes and stars and galaxies in the other direction. You know all this, but we are so often too busy with the minutiae of life. I've got errands to run. I've got to get the car fixed. And then homework's due tonight. And, and then I've got this project at work. And the yard needs to be mowed. And look! God! The Lord. We never listen like that. We never think like that. But here we say to each other, look. See the grandeur of what is. And all of that was made by and sits in the palm of held in the hand of this one who rules over it all, the great God. There is no one like him. Take that in. Sit in front of it and, and say, whoa. And then, smile. Both those. Whoa. <laughs> because we're not just considering this in the abstract. This moves us towards the second point, but it's here hinted at, too, in, in the very first verse. He is the rock of our salvation. We're, we're considering all of this from a seat already inside the house. 
Whoa. Oh, man. That's what should come as you consider the transcendence of the Almighty God should cause you to take a seat and rejoice. Because this God is yours. That takes us to the second point. Worship the Lord in joy, for he is our imminent, kind shepherd. He's the transcendent, can't stand high enough, the transcendent, and now he's the imminent. Verse 6 again exhorts us, us talking to us, exhorts us towards worship. Connects what we just said, we were just seeing, and then, well, what's the response to that? Oh, let's worship him. Let us kneel, bow down before him. Some additional meaning there. So we're, we're singing, we're worshiping, but then something additional with kneeling and bowing down. What, what's additional to that? Well, obviously submission. There's, there's an obvious addition there of, of surrender, of acknowledged authority, of, of the right for authority to be over and to rule. So let us worship and let us bow down, kneeling, surrendered in submission before the Lord, our Maker. He's the Creator, transcendent. You can't get much more over and above and high than I made you. You didn't exist, then I made you. That's high. And it seems, perhaps, at first, like we're going to get kind of a repeat of what we were just looking at. He's our maker, that we're going to get more transcendent discussion here. But then it changes. It takes a turn and gives us a different ground, a different path, an additional second path towards worship and joy. Not just high and lifted up, but also near and personal. Let us worship and bow down for, verse 7, because the Lord is our God. Not just a great God, he is ours. He's our God. And then notice this image. Above in verse 3, it was king. Now the image is one of sheep and pasture. With, of course, God as shepherd. A decidedly more personal, more care-oriented image. Now, back in that day, the term shepherd was often attached to kings. Kings were called shepherds. So it's not like we've left and moved on to a completely different image. Shepherds lead sheep. Kings lead people. So the ideas of leadership and authority are not gone in this image of sheep and shepherd. But certainly, obviously, shepherds lead their sheep for the good of the sheep. Shepherds lead to prosper the sheep, to protect the sheep, to feed the sheep, to care for the health of the sheep. They're watching over their flocks to bless the flock. So we, we the worshipers of the Lord, we are the sheep, the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand, it says. So still in his hand, but not just in the sense of created, 
owns, possesses, has authority. All the world can say that. Everything on the earth is in his hand in that sense. But here's an additional one. We're in his hand as his sheep, as his people. In his hand, under his committed care. So Christian, sit and take that in. The hand of the Lord Almighty, the transcendent one, that one. And you've got to say it like that. That one. That hand, that hand holds you, that hand is near to you, from that hand you eat, and by that hand you are guided With that hand you are protected. Underneath of that hand you are cared for and healed. You are the sheep, the the little lambs of the Almighty One. Dependent on Him, helpless without Him, but certainly secure in the palm of this strong the hand of a good shepherd worship and bow down beneath this hand it's always good and it's always right for you and it's always blessing in your direction there is something sweet here do you see that So this is, how do I get, the, how do I get this life of, of joy that, that's honoring to God, that's a worship foretold to God and, and the kind of life that I want? Well, you put these two things together here and you say, here's the Almighty One who reigns and is the Lord near me, holding me, caring for me, sheltering me. He has me. I'm I'm fine. Set this Lord always before you. For the person who sees his or her need, this is a precious thing to be shepherded by the Lord. The great transcendent one carries you through a world that is too big for you, it's too much for you. It is full of confusion and full of trouble and full of powers who hate you and things that you can't control. Praise the Lord you don't have to. As he does. How does he shepherd you? Well, he is always appointed under shepherds. People through whom he shepherds. In the Old Testament, kings, as I was saying, and to a lesser degree, priests and prophets. In the New Testament, we see that attached to elders and pastors. People through whom God works to care for his people, under shepherds. And so if you realize that, you should think, I want to cooperate with these under shepherds. Because it's through them, through their ministry, that God's actually shepherding me. Of course, there's this reality to face all such under shepherds are human and sinful. 
They're all prone to error, to oversight, to bias and weakness, and they're all limited. The kind of shepherding the people of God will get from other people of God is going to be in some way compromised, always. And recognizing that, I want to cooperate with, but I also going to temper my expectations because these are just people. So, eh. But, eh, it's not actually good enough for God. God has appointed under-shepherds, always has, still does, but he doesn't leave it to their care because he knows that's just going to be, eh, half done. And in fact, if you look through the Old Testament, one of the reasons that I I can say this is I I see God's treatment of, eh, straying under-shepherds in Israel where he says, no, 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 no. You're not going to do that to my sheep. I will come take care of them myself. So does God shepherd through under-shepherds? Yes, always has, still does. But ultimately, those shortcomings meant and mean that God himself takes upon himself the responsibility to shepherd his own sheep. Not just in the ministry of people, in the ministry of Jesus by his Spirit. That's good news. That's good news. Because here's the reality. Whatever's happening to you in life and whatever, whatever kind of eh shepherding you're getting from other people in this church or in the world, the reality is that the good shepherd, Jesus, is not asleep at the switch, has not abdicated the role to me. Thank God. Literally, thank God but has himself engaged himself to shepherd you in all of his wisdom and in all of his power and in all of his love. Sometimes you see that reality. Sometimes you see the ministry of Jesus by his spirit. You, you pray and you see an answer to prayer. You read your Bible and, and like the light goes on, you see it and you understand and you grow and you say, that was Jesus touching me. That was the spirit of God protecting me from harm, saving me from some trouble, giving me some answer. Sometimes you see that, but I think probably, this is the one thing that I want to commend to you, probably most time we don't see it at all, so we miss it. Because most of the shepherding of Jesus, of his people, is hidden, deeply layered behind the providence of God. Providence, God working in the world through other means, but working out his plan because he's sovereign over it all. We often miss that. But this is the God who holds the depths and the heights, the sea and the dry land and all people in his hand, you included specially so. And he reigns over all things, even behind the scenes. So he's at work. Whatever you're facing, he's at work in that. Others may mean it for evil, but he means it for good. Means it for good. He's at work in that. He's at work in that to grab you, one of his sheep, and carefully, wisely, powerfully, sweetly shepherd you, carry you, 
to Christ-like maturity, to a spot where you can increasingly and increasingly and increasingly enjoy Him, seeing Him, resting in Him, seeing what is false and hopeless and walking away from that and seeing Him and resting in Him and enjoying Him for His honor and for what your heart was made for. That's what He is always doing in your life, even when you can't see it. He's the good shepherd, attentive to you, aware of you, on the job, loving you strongly and powerfully. That's what he's up to. And if you will see it like that, and if you will grab hold of that reality and bring it down into what you can very easily see and can be troubled by, if you grab that reality and bring it down next, it drives out anxiety. It might not drive out all the questions, but it drives out anxiety. It drives out fear and uncertainty. And it gives you great hope, great joy, whatever it may be. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. Reckon it as true, Christian. And so give thanks in all things, in all things, because your shepherd is at work to care for you. This is the path to joy. God-centered, thankful, worshiping in joy. And we say to ourselves, Two different sections here. How do you get that? Set your eyes on God. On God. And rejoice. This is good news. This is good news. It's the path to the life you want. And it's a glory for God. He is your good shepherd. He can be rested in. And even when life seems confusing and contrary to our desires, he can be trusted in it and obeyed in it. In faith. Obeyed. That leads us to the third point. The last exhortation, the end of verse 7. Hear this shepherd's voice and in faith obey. Hear this shepherd's voice and in faith obey. This may seem like an odd tack-on to the beginning part of the psalm. But as we think about it, and we come back around to the end, we'll see this actually fits in perfectly and necessarily. But let's walk through it. Last of verse 7 begins a new thought. Today, if you hear his voice, still us talking to us, today if you hear his voice, voice of God, the shepherd. Shepherds led, peop- led sheep by voice back then. So he's talking about a shepherd still calling out with guidance and instruction, maybe correction. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah and as at Massah. Those two words, Meribah and Massah, mean quarreling and testing. Testing, as in questioning something you doubt and don't trust. 
Moses used those two words to name a particular place in the wilderness where a sad event, you can read about this in Exodus 17, in a sad event, the Israelites broke out in open, blatant doubt and distrust of God. And God replied, as we see here in the last verses of our psalm, and notice how the last verses, they switch to the first person of God to like emphasize this and drive this home. Switch to being, God being the speaker. Their hearts go astray and they do not know my ways. That is, they don't know me. I don't know what I'm about. I don't know who I am. So I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. And in case we're uncertain as to what's being said there, where this comes up again in Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4, made quite clear, the people did not have genuine faith in God. Though they looked the part on the outside, they were called God's people. That's what people knew them as. People could see that God was caring for them. It looked like it from the outside, but they did not have genuine faith in God, says God. And so they perished under God's judgment wrath. They missed out on God's eternal rest forever. This is very serious. It's dark. Why is it here? the final note of a psalm that's so much about praise in the first half. Why is it here? Well, what's the psalmist's obvious point in this final exhortation? His obvious point, and for that matter, it's the same point in Hebrews. The point, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't respond like those ones did so that you don't suffer what those ones did. They had seen all kinds of power, amazing power for them. They saw the plagues. They saw the Red Sea parted. All God doing them good, setting them free and providing for them and protecting them. And while all that's going on for their benefit, for their clear and obvious needed benefit. They're all, we're with God. Amen. This is amazing. Praise the Lord. Gigantic worship festival on the other side of the Red Sea. Everything looks great. But then, when people get to a point where God has led them to, directed them towards something that's like, whoa, that's pretty tough. I don't know if I like that. No, 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 says the people. This is not good. This is wrong. He's wrong. We know better. Let's go back to Egypt. Let me fix the plan, says the people. And their hard hearts show up. Their hearts that are always going astray show up. The fact that they only knew about God didn't actually know him. That becomes apparent as they refuse to trust him. Not struggle to trust him, asking questions uncertain and timidly stepping ahead. Refuse to trust him. Turn around and start walking back. They do not believe. And the point, don't go there. 
that path, you stand here at, at, a, at a fork, that path, that path of my own way, that path of God is wrong, that path of I know better, that path, down that path is trouble. Don't go there. That's the psalmist's point. That path has judgment on it. That path has loss. That path has missing God's rest forever down there, somewhere down that path. You can't see it from here. Right here, it looks fine. It looks sunny down that path. I'm telling you, it's not. Don't go there. Says the psalmist, we to each other. But rather, church, is written to the church, of course. It's written to the people of God, but it's actually, if you're not one of the people of God, if you're not a part of the church, it's actually the same point. So it's, it's going to apply to everybody. The same urging. Rather, today, whenever today is, today is always present. Now, if you hear God's voice, most commonly we hear God's voice in the scriptures. But at other times, God does speak to people. By his spirit, he speaks things that are more personal, that are about you, that aren't actually written in the Bible. Situations that you're in, he, he gives you some guidance or some hesitance. Always checked against the Bible, of course, of course, of course. But if you hear his voice in the scriptures or inclining you or putting a pause into you or exhorting you to move certain ways in, in moments in time in your life, you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, but instead, Yield. Don't go there. Yield. Trust him. Trust his word. Check it against the Bible, always. Trust him. Surrender to his authority. Surrender to him. Submit yourself and your life and your ways and your goals and your decisions to his shepherding hand that holds you, that cares for you. Believe him to be this for you. Even when you can't see with your own eyes, don't live by what you can see. Believe him. Don't go there. Go here. Believe that he is the great God of verses 3 to 5. Believe that he's the good shepherd of verse 7. And believe, and watch this. Notice the directions here on the timeline. You're sitting right here. You're looking at something in life that's challenging, that's hard, that's disagreeable, that's tempting, that's enticing. And you look back at verses 3 to 5 and verse 7. The, the information that you have heard and known and experienced, where has he shepherded you? How has he shown you his might? You look back at that and you bring that next to what's here. And believing that this is God, in faith, in faith, you obey him forward under the timeline. Believing this is who he was, it's who he is, and it's who he will be tomorrow. Faith is obviously looking forward. You don't trust for something that's already happened. You trust for something that hasn't happened yet. Faith is forward-looking. I believe that you will be this God tomorrow for me. You will be this shepherd tomorrow for me. So I will kneel and bow before you, believing. 
It's a necessary final part of finding and living the life of joyful praise. That's why it's here. It's a necessary and final part of finding and living the life of joyful praise. It's in the first part of the psalm. You cannot just agree with the transcendence of the great God and relish the sweetness of the imminent God and then not believe Him, disobey Him, and walk according to your own ways. That combination, don't go there, that combination leads to hardship, discipline, and eventually judgment lies on that path. Don't go there. trying to find a number. I won't put a number on I'll just say often. With some frequency, I meet people and engage with people who try to square that circle. You know what I mean by trying to square the circle? You got a circle, and you're trying to like put a board here, put a board here, put a board here, put a board here, and force it together to form, make that circle go, never gets in the corners. You can't square the circle. But I meet people with some frequency who try to square the circle and say, oh, no, 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 no. I do, I do worship the Lord. I do praise Him. I do, I bless His name and I'm thankful for His shepherding. But here, I'm going to go this way because I think that's better. And He'll forgive me in the end. I'll come back to Him later. Don't go there. There's a generation dead in the wilderness that tried to go there. Today, if you hear his voice, believe him and obey him. That's the path that leads to joyful union with God, that leads to the life of rejoicing praise. But I already have gone there. Someone may say. Or I'm there right now. Or I'm wrestling through what you're saying and and I'm not there right now, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to go there again. My heart heart is fickle. It goes astray often. And so if this this is the path over here that that you're talking about, the dark path, that I kind of feel like my life goes like this. What does that say about me? And what's, what's the consequences facing me? And am I actually stuck in verse 11? I also meet people who ask that question. Maybe you. Who hasn't struggled with unbelief? Who hasn't disbelieved, disobeyed? Who hasn't been hard-hearted at some point or other? Who hasn't strayed? This is a warning to us all. 
So let us run away from verse 11. Verse 11 is here. This, this is here to make us, to warn us, to alert us, to make us think about the reality of verse 11. And to make us run away from it. So you put it like this. Verse 11 is there to make us worry about the reality of verse 11, but not to leave you worried. You pull up at, at an, uh, an unprotected railroad stop. There's a sign there, you know, don't cross when the arm comes down and whatnot. There's a warning there. Don't cross when the arm comes down. <laughs> stop short. Or if there's no arm at all, don't pull up onto the track and park. There's an intended alert, a warning, a very grave warning. If you're on this track, when a train comes, trouble. That's there to keep you from being on the track when a train comes. There's an alert here. We should be warned so that we run away from this danger, run away from verse 11, run away from hard-heartedness, run away from straying, run away from disobedience, run away from unbelief that's behind it. What do we run to? We run to perfect obedience. We run to perfect wholeheartedness. We run to perfect faith, right? No. That's the problem. I'm not that. I'm not perfectly obedient. That's, that's a problem. We don't run from that to some place that doesn't exist, to some person who isn't. We run to the one who was always perfect. We run to that one who never went astray. The whole point of this is to say, here's the problem that leads to death. Run from that to, not to your own perfection. Run to the Savior, the Good Shepherd. But it was also the Lamb who laid down his life on behalf of the sheep. You run to him. You run away from wrath and to the one who took God's wrath in our place. See that one. This is an amazing shepherd. This is an amazing shepherd. How many shepherds die for their sheep? This one did willingly and knowingly. He's a good shepherd. And to see him in his good grace, in his mercy, in his sacrificing love, gives you every reason, Christian, gives you every reason to believe if he was that kind of a shepherd for me in the past up to today, he will be that kind of shepherd tomorrow. And I can trust him. Believe Him and obey Him. It's the necessary final piece to see Him as trustworthy and to obey Him leads us into walking with Him, leads us into communion with Him today and tomorrow and on forever. And that's where joy is found in His presence, is fullness of joy at His right hand, I might say, in His hand pleasures forevermore.
Thank God for the good shepherd whose voice we can trust and follow and from whose hand we receive life. Praise the Lord and give thanks to the Lord and sing songs of loud praise to the Lord from a joyful heart in worship of Him in what's good for you. Let me pray. Father, will you help us to more than know this, to actually engage with it, to set you, the Lord, always before us. When we find our souls downcast to put our hope in you, God, help us to engage with this and not just register it as true. Would you meet your people? Draw them into faith. Draw them into joyful worship. There may be some here now who need you to particularly shepherd them through some trouble or some trial. Would you draw near to that one, to those ones, and show yourself almighty and sweetly kind? Press that into your people so that they cannot forget it and cannot not know it. Lord, as we take this communion cup and bread into hand now, will you speak in it to us? Will you enable us to hear your voice? Maybe you'll meet particular individual people with particular things they need. You'll maybe speak general words of encouragement or speak to specific situations as we commune with you. But would you do that? Would you speak? Would you draw near and encourage and build up, nourish spiritually now, please? Put this in your hands, joyful and thankful. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.